Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. Presented by Kirk Stangy of Stangy Law Firm, PC. Stangy Law Firm is a family law firm with offices in Missouri and Illinois. Now, here's your host, Kirk Stangy. Welcome to Family Law Talk. We have an exciting episode today. The title of the episode is The Role of Divorce Coaches, and I have a special guest on uh, with us today, Deborah Moscovich. Uh, Deborah, you on the phone with me today? I am. It's a pleasure to be be here. Yeah, Thank thanks you. so much for coming on. Thanks so much for coming on. Tell the listeners what it is uh what it is you do. I'm guiding people through the divorce process with more positive outcomes for a happier and healthier future, which means I provide divorce I I provide support coaching, information tools, resources, education, everything that they need to help navigate the divorce process. So referrals to professionals and education. You now, know, you're a you divorce through, consultant, correct? Correct. Tell the listeners so what I'm that is, because people, some listeners might not know. So I'm coaching people through the process. I have I work with clients all across North America. I also work with people in Europe as well. And, you know, when you get married, you spend a lot of time on the ceremony and the party, and there's a lot of planning that goes involved. But when it comes to divorce, it's not something you plan for, and a lot of people don't understand the process. I went through divorce myself. The file stayed open for seven years. It was deeply emotional and extremely costly. And so I wanted to understand what made divorce so difficult for people. And as a coach, I'm able to help people understand process from the legal side and the emotional side. So I believe you go through two divorces. You're going through the emotional divorce, you know, where you have to really deal with the um, the end of your marriage and all that goes along with it. But with that, you're also dealing with the legal divorce and you know, the parenting plan and the fin- the split of all the finances. And oftentimes, you haven't processed the divorce emotionally, and it overrides the legal side of the divorce. So as a coach, I'm helping people understand that so that they can keep, they can process the emotions, because you have to work through the emotions, but you have to keep the legal process going. And so how do you do that? And it's really tough. And people often don't understand what the process is. You know, um, you know, on the legal side, people often think that they just need to litigate and get it over with. But, you know, you don't have to go to court. As a matter of fact, I try to keep my clients out of court. You know, you can um, pursue a collaborative family law, mediation, and people don't understand all the nuances and the differences. And so divorce education is so important because the way you manage your divorce is going to determine how well you do post-divorce. Now, you wrote a book called The Smart Divorce, correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that started my whole career as a divorce coach because I wanted to understand what made it so difficult for people to move forward. When I started to rebuild my life, I noticed a common theme of despair, disappointment, sadness, and anger, but not just you know post-divorce, but five or ten years later. And I didn't want to be like that. So I started to talk to the leading experts across North America about what makes divorce so difficult for people. And I ended up interviewing over 100 of the leading divorce professionals in the financial side, the uh, emotional, the um, mental health side, um, finances, whatever was related to divorce. I tried to get a lot of the research in, and that's what I wrote, The Smart Divorce, uh, which is now it's a Canadian bestseller and it's a leading book in the U.S. as well. And since that time, I've written another book called The Smart Divorce Smart Guides with tip sheets on various aspects of the divorce process and also have four CDs called The Smart Divorces Audios. And that's on the emotional side of divorce, the legal divorce, smart co-parenting, and rebuilding your life post-divorce. And I narrate that with Dr. Robert Simon, who's one of the leading forensic psychologists in the U.S. When you talk about the emotional divorce, what do you mean by that? Well, 
divorce is an extremely emotional time. You're grieving the end of your marriage. You're grieving the many losses. You're the end of a couple, the family as you knew it. I mean, if you've got kids, you know, that whole nuclear family. And you're grieving the extended family. Perhaps you identified yourself with, uh, you know, who your partner is, if you if that enabled a certain kind of lifestyle for you. So there's so many changes that are about to occur. Uh, transitioning from life as a couple to life on your own. And so that's what the emotional divorce is. It's processing those many the many emotions. And then you also look at, well, you know, many people, you, you go into marriage thinking, well, this is going to be forever, and it's not forever. So what does that mean? You know, like you now have been rejected by your partner, the person that you loved and cherished and planned on spending the rest of your life with, all of a sudden, in, if it's a high-conflict divorce, um, becomes your enemy. And, like, how does that happen? So, again, there's this emotion that you need to process. And I feel very what strongly that you need to process What could a divorce vote do to help with that? I think that when you how talk it through, yeah. when you talk it through and help them understand that the way you're feeling today is not the way you're going to feel in five or ten years from now. I'm not acting as a therapist. I send my clients to therapists because I think therapy is very important. You know, you need to be introspective. But a lot of people find it really helpful speaking to me because I've been through it. So if you can understand then how much the emotions impact the legal process, it helps people uh, be stronger. And, and be more resilient because rather than vent to your lawyer, you know, for 10 hours uh, and then complain that your legal bills are so high, and I say that respectfully, Kirk, but, you know, people need to understand that it's okay to work through the emotions, but how do you do that? And, you know, I, I help them clarify that um, as a coach so that they can work more effectively with their legal counsel. So we come back. We come up with a lot of questions to navigate and problem solving. Right. What type of traits should folks look for in a therapist? Traits. Well, I think that there's got to be that chemistry where you can really be open uh, and and share your pain with somebody. You know, your therapy is only going to be as good as the person. As, as sorry, your therapy is only going to be as good as the information you share. So if you don't share all the facts, and for some people it's really hard because they have very bad fact situations. They've done some very bad things, and so they don't want to, you know, share that information. It's it could be embarrassing. So you've got to find somebody that you feel safe and secure with, and someone that's got the expertise in the issues that you're looking for and that you're trying to heal through. You ever experienced so people reluctant to see a therapist because they're, like, concerned that maybe what they say in therapy could come out in court um, and become relevant in their case? Uh, well, you're the lawyer, so y- you tell me. But I-, I will tell you that for many of my clients, I mean, that's one of the things that I – I suggest that they do is speak to a therapist. Don't forget, I'm not counseling my 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 clients as a therapist. I'm counseling them, provide them with divorce education. But you know, from I, and I've meet with I, I've spoken with many judges. As a matter of fact, I was on the board of AFCC, Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that organization. And so yes, I've I really had the. So I've had the opportunity to speak with many judges and 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 lawyers and, and and researchers and from what they're telling me, the more that people seek to help themselves emotionally, it's only seen as a positive. You you're not talking right, about people who true. are mentally ill. And and I think that's the difference. You're not talking about mental illness as much as it's it's for your mental health, like positive mental health. You know, um, and many lawyers have said this to me. In criminal law, you see bad people on their best behavior. 
and family law, <laughs> as I'm sure you see all too often, you see really good people on, you know, doing really bad things. And so if you had the help of a therapist, especially if you are being bombarded with some bad stuff, and, and, and that happens when you're litigating, you know, the person that you loved and trusted so much and all of a sudden is saying all these mean and nasty things, it's really hard. Like, how do you cope? And that's why I think that a therapist is really helpful because you, you've got that someone's going to help you with coping skills. Otherwise, you have a lot of people who are coping using drugs and alcohol and, you know, and who, are, you know, or who aren't sleeping well. You know, they start to self-medicate. And then it affects their parenting style. It affects the way that you're working, you know, in the workplace. You know, I, I, and I have clients who have come to me that because they weren't able to work effectively. And so, you know, they, they were on probation at work because they weren't doing their job. I mean, that's how emotional divorce can be. What does the acronym for SMART in the SMART divorce mean? Okay, S is to state your goals and objectives up front. And, you know, make sure that they're realistic. So when I say what are your goals and objectives, it's people understanding that um, when, for instance, I'll just use this as, as an example, when you're splitting your finances, you know, you often heard, I'm sure people say, he's not going to get a dime out of me or I'm going to take him to the cleaners. But that's not realistic. You know, there are laws there, you know, and guidelines. So just make sure that you really understand, you know, what that is and so that when you're negotiating and you're mediating, that you really understand what those objectives are and what the potential outcome can be, that it's realistic. Maximize, M is for maximize your knowledge and information. In other words, divorce education critical so that when you make decisions you're making them from a sense of confidence because you really understand what it is that you have to do all too often you know people make these decisions and once the divorce is is finalized they're really unhappy with the decisions that they've made so even if you've had to make a decision that you're not really happy with you know that this was the best option you know um, in the legal process. So, for instance, um, sleepovers. You know, you don't want you, people want to have. Everybody wants to have their kids with them 24/7. That's not possible, right? Like, oftentimes, the kids are going back and forth between mom's house and dad's house. So, if you understand the the, the parental um, the parenting plan, you know that will help you under, You know, move forward post divorce, and by maximizing your knowledge and information, you understand what needs to go into that parenting plan. A is avoid being emotionally reactive, and so that's what we talk about the emotional side of divorce and the importance of the coping skills that you need to develop. R is to retain the best divorce team you can afford, and I underline the you can afford part because, again, it's all too often people say, I just want the best lawyer that's going to take me through this divorce and then end up, you know, if you've got somebody that's making uh, an income of $40,000 a year and has to pay a lawyer $700 an hour, um, you know, they might be stuck with a bill of forty or $50,000 post-divorce. So there's ways of finding really exceptional lawyers that aren't the most expensive. So make sure that you find the people that you have that fit within your budget. And when I talk about a divorce too because oftentimes you might want to use more than just a lawyer. You know, obviously, you know, we're talking about a divorce coach, but also perhaps a parenting expert or a financial expert. You know, there are other people that have expertise that could be really valuable to the divorce process. And T is to treat your divorce as a business transaction. And, you know, that builds on everything I've talked about before, removing the emotions, doing your due diligence, doing a cost-benefit analysis. So you can see it's very complex. Absolutely. How does a divorce coach help get people to, to really employ these principles you're talking about? Well, you know, we talk, like, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about outcomes. And we will do sometimes like a cost-benefit analysis. You know, what it costs to get results, why? 
So, for instance, you don't want to have your child sleep over at the parents' house at the at your co-parents' house three times a week. And you know, we'll talk about that and what does that mean. And so, and I'll even go so far as doing that cost-benefit analysis, saying, you know, you could end up spending a hundred thousand dollars going to court and litigating, having to go through a custody and access evaluation, and then all of a sudden. Now they're beginning to put on their legal hat versus their emotional hat and now understand that whole process of the emotional divorce, sorry, the legal divorce, right? So I think just by talking about it and because I've been through it and understand their pain and their fears and their concerns, they'll listen to me because I experienced a lot of what they did, a lot of what they're going through. In terms of you said you mentioned that an individual needs to find an attorney that works within their their budget, uh, the best. In other words, the best attorney they can get within their budget. Um, yeah. How do you help clients get there? Well, I refer them to to lawyers or to attorneys, um, and so by doing that, I also look at what their issues are. So, for instance. If there is a mobility issue and you've, you've got a, uh, a client who wants to take their, ki- their children and move them outside of the country or, or to a different state, then you're looking for a lawyer with one area of expertise versus um, you've got two young kids who, you know, they're in their early 20s and the marriage didn't really last all that long. They don't have a lot of money. And so, you know, we talk about the expertise that they might need, and it's just, you know, working with a very junior lawyer in a great firm. Most of the firms that I refer to, you know, they're they're very, you know, have excellent reputations, but there are also many junior lawyers. And the advantage of working with some of these really fabulous junior lawyers is that they're they're being mentored by senior lawyers in the firm. So if they don't know how to answer your question, they you know they have the resources now. They can go talk to somebody who's more senior, as opposed to someone who, uh, and I say this respectfully, but someone who you know puts up their own sign that yes, I'm now a family law lawyer, and they're on their own. You know, so there's different ways that you can work with fabulous lawyers who are less expensive but have, you know, the mentoring so that they can ask questions and without costing the client a lot of money. And so they can see right. that because no... oftentimes – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I mean, I was just agreeing with you. I mean, I think that's totally true. I mean, in a lot of firms, yeah. the, you know, junior attorneys have the ability to access a more senior attorney, and there's just no question that can save a client a lot of money. Yeah, and I think that's really important because, you know, you don't want to be spending all of your money on the legal process, and then when your file is closed, you realize that there's not enough money to maintain the kind of lifestyle that you had envisioned. Because now you have to think about when you were married, you had an income that was like that was that was shared by two sorry, one income for the family. And now you've got that same income is going to be supporting two families. So you don't want to drain that whole income uh through legal fees. And I say that respectfully. How do you get a client there? Because I can I can tell you from experience, sometimes you know folks come in and and they just want the most expensive attorney at the firm. And when you try to, you know, point them in the direction of, hey, maybe you want a more junior associate. I mean, looking at your finances, you know, myself candidly, I don't want to get in a case and then halfway through find out the client can't afford it, then I have to withdraw. And so you, I mean, you try to, you know, respectfully say, you know, client maybe you ought to consider, you know, this attorney or this attorney. They might be half the price I charge, for example. But sometimes I can say I, I you know, I get resistance. Uh, you know, the folks want to, they just, you know, they want to pay for who they view as the best, and then right, they get it over their head. So I'm just curious how you can help get them to that place because I think that's a real problem um, that I've oh, experienced. That's an interesting point. But you know, I think it, you know by talking to the individual. So like, what I often do is uh, I speak to my clients and say you're not going to be able to afford this this lawyer because I, I know what their financial situation is already, right? One of the things that I do is I make them go through the financial statement and fill it out so they have a snapshot themselves on what their finances are looking like. 
you know, all too often you've got one partner who really has, you know, the uninformed spouse who has no clue what's going on in the family finances. So when they actually see those finances in black and white on the paper, it gives them a bit of reality check. Now, you know, they still might want that senior lawyer. So when we talk about it, we'll say, you know, I'll tell them how expensive that process could be. And so maybe if you want that senior lawyer, you don't use that lawyer um, in the firm for everything you do. So, Kirk, maybe, you know, your clients are consulting with you, but actually you've got the junior lawyers who are doing all the paperwork. You know, you're not going to be the one that's filling out the financial statement with your client. It's probably going to be an associate at the firm or, you know, the paralegal or, or somebody who's like way more junior. So that's that's one of the things that I'm my clients now are really open to understanding that if you're not going to court, if you're not going, you know, if you if you don't need something where you need the the most the the, the best expertise why are why are you fighting for that when you can keep the money in the family? And so, you know, hearing it from me, it does give them that reality check. I'll tell you something that my mother um, likes to say and kind of rub in my nose sometimes because, as you know, I mentioned that my father stayed open for seven years. And she said, and I live in the suburbs, and I've always wanted to live in the city, and she said, that was your house in the city. And I tell that story to my clients all the time because when you understand how costly it can be and working with the most senior uh, lawyers, um, your bills get very high very fast. And also, you know, when you talk about using the most senior lawyers, when people are venting to their lawyer all the time, you know, and all of a sudden you get a bill of $10,000 and you haven't accomplished anything, it's not necessarily the lawyer's fault either. Although, you know, Sometimes lawyers have to redirect their clients, and clients have to understand that you've got to use the expertise most cost-effectively. So if you are really emotional and you can't handle it, then it's not the lawyer you should be talking to, excuse me, but a therapist or your divorce coach. So is it better for an individual to... Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's that's all totally true, and in fact, you know, it is important for an attorney to... You know, to, if the client's calling excessively or emailing excessively, I think it's an important thing for an attorney uh, to say to the client, which is, hey, I'm glad to answer any questions you have, and if you have them, I mean, call me, email me, I'm glad to do it, but but just know, you know, that you're being billed for this. So, uh, I mean, I think oftentimes if, if it's said the right way to, to most of the clients, they'll get that and, and be cost conscious, but some clients, you know, you tell them that, they'll just keep calling, keep emailing, keep running up a bill, and, and then... Well, I, right, I, I'll tell you a funny it. story. Yeah, yeah, I, agreed. And, you know, I'll tell you a funny story, and I write about this in my book. Um, my lawyer, my attorney called me one day and said, you know, I hear from you the most, more than any other client whose file I'm, I'm working on right now. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, I'm like the most involved client. I must be really good, and really smart, and everything else. And he said, no, no, like, your bills are like the highest <laughs> because because one 10-minute phone call is, sorry, 10 one-minute phone calls are more expensive than one 10-minute phone call. And, like, that really sunk home. It meant that I was really ineffective and I wasn't managing the process properly. Right. So how do you, so how do you help get people in terms of the A, in terms of, Avoid reacting to your emotions. How do you get them from from reacting on emotions to the more logical place where they look at it as a business transaction, as you say? Because we go through all of their issues. Like there's a lot of talking that goes on, uh, you know, when I'm working with my clients and problem solving. So I'm focusing them on what the issues are, and then they write it down. Like you know, my my clients have notebooks and they're writing down all of the questions that they should be asking their legal counsel. So I stay them I help them stay really focused. Now, if they still have an issue, I'll say that's not the issue for your lawyer. And you know, here's why. 
this is the issue you need to be discussing with your therapist, or this is the issue that you need to be discussing with your parenting expert. And then we'll make up lists of questions for each expert. And now people might say, you know, are your, your listeners, whoa, like, you know, what is this woman talking about? She's got an expert for um, the emotional side of divorce. You know, you have a therapist, and you've got the, the parenting expert, and you might have your your financial person involved and the lawyer. Like, whoa, like, that's that's really expensive. But actually, at the end of the day, you're saving money because many of those professionals are are charging less than your lawyer. And you're using the professionals that have the expertise that can help you manage that issue most effectively. So, for instance, if you're working through a parenting plan, well, do you really care, Kirk, if um, your clients have every Wednesday night sleepover and, you know, um, and are at their, their, and how they divide up the weekends? you probably don't have the research as much, and I say this respectfully, obviously, but, you know, as much as the social worker or the um, psychologist who studied this and that's their area of expertise and can share with their clients what the research shows and what this means in terms of, you know, the the child's long-term emotional um, healing from divorce. So you're dealing with a person whose expertise is focused on that subject by, and you're keeping the lawyer in the loop, but you're really dealing with, you know, your area. And I know a lot of attorneys prefer to deal with the legal aspect. Yeah, so, I mean, as know, attorneys, so we're not we're not experts in all that stuff. I mean, we're not. I mean, we're lawyers. We can help uh, in terms of crafting the right legal language. But right, we're not financial experts, and we're not parenting plan experts in terms of, you know, psychology and what's best interest for the kids. I mean, that's I think that's terribly true. And clients exactly. don't realize that. Right. And and so and you know, even like, you know, on the financial side, if you've got someone who has a pension, um, stock options, you know, or whatever, you know, you need someone with that area of expertise to understand, well, how is that going to affect your your long term financial outlook? How does that affect your taxes? How is that going to affect um you know, you're budgeting right now, you know, whatever. And so we talk a lot about those questions that you need to be thinking of. And then once my clients understand then um, how to utilize, like, the function of each uh, professional, they understand then, oh, you know what, I, I'm spending my money more effectively and efficiently rather than just dumping all in a lawyer and not getting the expertise that I'm looking for. And then they come, they go away angry. Because you didn't let them know that that 401k, um, you know, might not have been the best asset for you to split. Well, but how would you how would you know that? Right. right. I think it's really so, important to get the clients in with a financial expert. Right. I think especially in the in the higher asset cases. I mean, it's a critical thing to do that. Yeah. 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 And and for the clients that don't have as much money. And then you've got the fears that, you know, I see this more with women, uh, and even though it's not true, that they're going to become bag ladies. Like I see the women are afraid that they're going to become bag ladies, and the men are afraid that they're never going to see their children again. So, you know, and that brings up like all these fears. So when you bring in all the right experts and help them craft the uh, the documents and, and um, you know, that they need, for whatever the issues are, it really helps to diffuse those feelings, you know, and and make it less emotionally destructive. How would an individual originally get to somebody like you? Do attorneys refer business to you, or how does it how does that work? Uh, well, attorneys do refer business to me. Actually, some attorneys um, retain me on file so that they're the ones that are paying me and not their clients. Uh, it's it's a part of a service that they're offering their clients because I'm supporting the attorneys. And this way, actually, a lot of attorneys like it because we're having the conversation. So they will say to me, this is the issue that I'm having with my client. They're not hearing, you know, X, Y, and Z. Can you help them understand that? So it could be something as... Um, 
you know, you, as emotional as your client thinks that they're they're still going to reconcile with their partner, and they and and you know you've spoken to the other side and you know that there is no way that their partner wants to get back together, the spouse wants to get back together again. So by you telling me what the situation is, I can give my your client that reality check. And so that's how the lawyers like me to work with them, is keeping uh, helping the clients through the emotional aspect of divorce so that you don't have to. And it makes your job easier, and it makes the client um, more focused on the legal aspects because I'm dealing with the emotional side. And the clients like that because I really understand their pain. Like, I've been there, and I've researched it. And my file stayed open for seven long years. So it's not like it was a, a walk in the park for me. I mean, I became so focused on my divorce that I couldn't work. You know, like that became my job. Like, you know, and how crazy is that? So by talking to somebody who's kind of pulling pulled themselves out of it, has done extensive research with leading professionals, and, you know, and not that I want to pat myself on the back, but, um, you know, the lawyer's, and and judges and mental health professionals like they love what I do because I'm helping people manage the divorce process in a very holistic way you know because of my experience so it's almost like I did not have the smart divorce and so learn from my dumb mistakes so you don't have to make them and you can have that smart divorce which means managing the legal aspects outside of the emotional aspects how do you help folks who don't want the divorce? Because to me, those is, those have been some of the hardest cases I've had to represent clients on. I think back to having men and women as clients, and and they didn't want the divorce, and the other spouse couldn't wait to be divorced. They wanted the marriage to end as quickly as possible. And, and, and for me, those are particularly hard cases because it's hard to get to the custody. It's hard to get to the property and debt issues because they, they're not even past hump one, which is they want to stay married. So I'm curious how you help somebody – in that situation, because I, I think that is one of the most challenging fact patterns. Yes, and and I see that a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wrote a tip sheet about it. I worked with a, um, a social worker on how to tell your partner that you want out, and and they might not want that. So what do you do? And for that, it's like there's a lot of questions um, that I give my clients to think about so that they can really process it. And you know, there are there are so many fears. So it's true. You know, it takes two to marry and only one to divorce. So when they when they kind of understand that you can't force someone to be there, well, what kind of partner is that partner that they don't want to, you know, and I say it respectfully, but they don't want to be with you anymore for whatever reason. And so we talk about that. But then What's underneath it? So when, when you help your client, you know, explore what's underneath that and the fears, it could be financial fears, you know, the the fear of am I going to be alone forever? I mean, that's a huge one. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. You, you might, you know, there could be financial fears and you can tell your client, well, that's totally unrealistic because I know at the end of the day this is what your settlement is going to look like. This is different, you know, like you don't know if they're going to repartner. So what you have to do and what I what I work my, with my clients is try to build their sense of self-esteem that they're good people. And, you know, this is what you have to do to rebuild your life. Like, you know, one of the things that I did is starting to do things on my own, like going to movies by myself or, um, you know, strolling the, uh, you know, I'm into the art scene. So, you know, doing that strolling the um, the roads and the areas that have a very arty kind of community. And so I started to get out there on my own. And when we talk about that with clients, you know, slowly I help them see that they can build they can build a different life. It might not be the one that they had dreamed of, but you have no choice. And so if you're going to sit here and fight and prolong the divorce process, it's going to get even worse. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to divorce your partner and be amicable. And 
if you are putting in these stumbling blocks, you know, we talk about what it's going to, how it's going to affect your finances or how it's going to affect the relationship. Now, if you don't have kids together, that relationship doesn't really matter. But if you do have kids together, so what does that mean for your, um, you know, co-parenting? And there are times when it is really help, hurtful because what happens when you didn't want this divorce and your spouse has another partner and they want to introduce that other partner right away. And so, you know, one of the things that I help them see is, so for instance, if I have that partner that wants to introduce the spouse right away, the, the new partner right away, you know, we'll talk a lot about what that means and, you know, the long-term impact. So I really do, like, I don't mix my words. Like, I'm very cautious and I understand their pain, but I also understand what it means when a new partner is, is being introduced or when kids don't want to see you. Like, you know, what does that, like, what's, what's beneath that? And so if people can really understand that, and, you know, it could take an hour of talking, but if if you can help them understand what those issues are, I mean, Kirk, it's not easy. You know, like, if, if divorce is, is probably one of the most stressful events a person will ever go through in life. It's actually uh, on the Homes and Race scale, the second most stressful event in life, second to that of losing a child. So you can see that there's so much emotion that goes along with it. And, you know, when you had these hopes and dreams of growing old with this person, and now that's not going to happen, it's, it's you know, for, for some people it's devastating. And especially for those that, uh, you know, are the great divorce, people who are in their 70s and, like, oh, had planned a retirement strategy with their partner, you know, traveling the world or, or cocooning or whatever it was on a fixed income. And so that makes it really, really complicated. But, but I think the compassion that I can provide people and the thought process and just being there, you know, I, I think it's, it, it is helpful. But people have to do the work. I mean, I, and I don't On the opposite lightly, end, like, it's kind I, of prevent. How, how does is. revenge exactly. kind of come into it? Because you get some folks who want revenge, some folks want to save the marriage, which is kind of like an interesting dichotomy at times. You see them kind of swing both angles. Well, that's that's another good point. As a matter of fact, I dealt with this with a client the other day. So she said to me, you know, my co-partner now, you know, my soon-to-be ex-husband, he's he's not flexible. You know, he never ever wants to give me um, the extra hour when I might be able to take my kids to the zoo or some some kind of activity. So I'm not going to be flexible either. And so we talk a lot about well what that means and 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 and, and at the end of the day, how that's impacting the kids. And so I think at the end of the hour. I finally got my client to see that if her co-parent is going to be, you know, an asshole, (laughs) excuse my language, but really, like, he was so inflexible. You know, we talked about what it means for the kids long term. And so I shared a a lot of research and, you know, and a glimpse as to, you know, my kids and what happened when there was no flexibility. And I'll tell you something, you reap what you sow. And I've got a great relationship, by the way. So if anybody's listening, say, oh, my goodness, like, what kind of mother is this woman? Um, I've got an incredible relationship with all three of my children. But, you know, you reap what you sow. So if you are a parent that is totally inflexible and taking out your revenge on the other parents with the kids, it will come back to haunt you. And, you know, and, and I see, like, you know, you you sort of develop the long-term relationship in the early years of your kid's life. You're, you know, up until your kids are 18, you almost have, like, control. And once they're uh, 18, you know, and they're young adults and they're driving, they are more in control of where they go and who they see. So if you are that inflexible parent, that your your co-parent did not alienate your kids from you. That's called realistic estrangement. You did it yourself. You know, you reap what you sow. And so we talk a lot about that and the the revenge. And, you know, we could talk about, and I had another client 
who they were fighting over um, a baby grand piano. And I think the legal bills, like, were starting to get into the, uh, 50, you know, 15000 like, you know, five, five, six digits. And that piano was only worth, like, $5,000. So when you start doing the cost-benefit analysis, they sometimes will calm down. And for those that are uh, are, in the, are are feeling that revenge, you know, we talk a lot about pulling your life together because the best revenge is having an incredible life. You mentioned realistic estrangement, which uh, which is, I think, a term that most people aren't familiar with. I, I I seem to notice that everybody's familiar with this idea of parental alienation, and most folks know what that means, but not many people, I think if you surveyed folks on what realistic estrangement is, has any idea what that term means. Could you explain to the listeners what that is? What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's a good point, so thanks for pointing that out. So parent alienation, as many of you listeners might know, is that for no good reason your children are beginning to back away from you. They don't want a relationship with you, and that's because... Your co-parent is poisoning your children. But on the other hand, sometimes you are being destructive in the relationship you have with your kids because of the things that you're doing. So if you're a parent that's being inflexible, you know, you're not, um, you're not picking your kids up when they need that extra hour with their friends at school and they're working on a project, or you're not there for your kids emotionally, or you keep on making promises to your kids and letting them down. You know, they're beginning to back away from the relationship that they have with you. That's called realistic estrangement because the reasons behind the kids not wanting to be with you are very real, but you're the one that's bringing it on. So you have to look at what that behavior is, what your behavior is, and how you might be contributing to the destruction of the relationship. I mean, and, and you know what? For some parents, they don't even realize that what they're doing is destroying the relationship. And it could be, you know, for some parents um, having a new partner. And so bringing that partner to every time they're with the kids. And, you know, the kids want to spend the time alone just with their mom or dad. They don't want that new partner involved in that outing. So, you know, there's just certain things that you have to think about and try to put yourself in your children's shoes and how they're feeling. And and maybe um, you can rebuild, you know, begin to rebuild that relationship if you find that your kids are being, you know, they're pulling away from that relationship. Does that help, Kurt? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, that, I mean, I think that's all. I think that's all very true, and, and uh, there's certainly, like I said, I think most people know what parental alienation is, and I, and I, but I think this idea of realistic estrangement, which is, I mean, I think what you're saying is you reap what you sow, and in some ways, in other words, if you're, if you're, if you're seeking revenge, that the kids will, you know, eventually figure that out, and then they become adults, and then at some point, maybe they don't want to be involved with that parent on a substantial level because they. Yeah, they ultimately figure it out, but most people always assume it's always parental alienation. When in fact, in some cases, it's not alienation at all. It's that the one parent's behavior is extreme. And I've had some, you know, interesting psychological evaluations or custody evaluations through the years where realistic estrangement has been found, not necessarily parental alienation. And I think that uh, um, I just think far too many, far too few people even know what that concept is and are familiar with it. Yeah, and you know, and you asked me earlier, well, like, what do you do when the relationship, when you don't want out of the relationship, and you're, and the other one, like, is is running from that relationship, and it's so painful for someone, and they don't want to see that person, and so, and how does that impact the kids? So, for instance, you've got, um, you know, um, a dance recital, you know, through the school, or you've got something where both parents could potentially be there, and one parent doesn't go because they don't want to see the other parent. And so those are, you know, are you got to, and, and then the kids feel bad. So, you know, you've got to think of some of the coping skills that you can provide a parent to think about how they can go to a function without being destroyed themselves emotionally. And how do or, they do that? Well, they don't have, the, number one, the parents don't have to sit together. Number two, um, you know, you take responsibility for getting your own tickets. You don't have to ask the other parent if you can go. You don't have to ask them to buy you the ticket. You know, you just go. And gradually, 
it gets easier. Like, you know, I'll never forget, you know, when I first got divorced, um, how difficult it was going to any of the school functions. I mean, you know, I had three kids, and and they were at a school where there were, like, lots of, you know, uh, open houses and concerts and little ceremonies, like, all the time. Now, you know, I talk about high conflict. My my former partner and I, my former husband, we didn't get along. You know, there was always a fight. And so somebody, you know, had to be more mature. And I really, you know, found that, and I had support. I, I did go to therapist. So I, I found, though, that I did what was good for me. And so that meant I didn't have to sit with him. I didn't have to ask him anything. And I just went to the function and I sat with my friends. And they knew what I was going through. And they knew, um, you know, what was happening. And they were so supportive. So, you know, finding that support network and having people that you can, you know, rely on and boost you up in these very public uh, places makes a huge difference. And the more you do it on your own, the easier it becomes. You know, nothing is easy at the beginning. You know, it's full of firsts. What do you think of this idea of parallel parenting, which is something that that, that is out there that just seems to be implemented in certain cases where the parents just aren't getting along? You think that works? You think it doesn't work? Well, I know it works because that's the um, the parenting plan that we had. It was so high conflict that. Uh, we couldn't speak, you know, and just there wasn't, from the other side, I was not getting respectful communication. So I have spoken with, um, you know, going, this is even before I started writing The Smart Divorce. I had worked through uh, with some parenting experts, and it became, uh, you know, I spoke to parenting experts before a parenting coordinator was in vogue, and a parenting coordinator is is a parenting expert who helps a couple as as an arbitrator, as a mediator, you know, when there are disputes. So I found that parenting, just doing it on my own, really diffused the conflict because there was nothing to fight over. I had, I was fortunate in a sense that I was given sole decision-making authority in health, education, and religion. So I could make the decision that were, you know, I felt right for the kids. And then I did you know, what was right for the kids. Like, I really put their best interests first, and at least they had a parent who could, who was focused on them and wasn't focused on the conflict, and so that nothing ever got done. Could you define so, that temporal uh, you know, parenting I, for folks out there? Well, I mean, what, what, is it, what does that mean exactly? I mean, I, I think to some folks, that even that term, I mean, they don't fully grasp what that means. Okay. So... In in most cases, the best situation is for parents to co-parent. It means that you make all decisions together, you really understand, um, and you work with the other parent in all aspects of parenting. So even though you're not living in the same household anymore, you're helping the other. You're you're, you're parenting effectively together. Yet, you know, in in different houses. So you're supporting the kids when they've got homework or in after-school activities. You're working as a unit, but you're divorced. In parallel parenting, you're not working as a unit. You're doing it. You're parenting on your own. There's no communication at all with the parent on the other side. And in most cases, um, and but Kirk, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you know, one parent has decision-making authority. So you don't have to have communication going back and forth between the parents. I, as a, uh, you know, even though we were in parallel parenting, in other words, I made all decisions and I did everything I needed to do for the kids when they were with me. I didn't have to consult with him. I did let him know what was happening with the kids. But in, in many instances, when you're parallel parenting, you don't have to let the other parent know what's happening with the kids. It's not the best situation. It's a situation where you're parenting, the, you know, you're parenting your kids as a single parent without the involvement of the other parent. Right, and I've seen it in certain cases too, where it's like that. Where it, it, and it seems it sometimes it can work, you know, with the parent coordinator kind of hand in hand in some respects too. Um, yeah, I've seen. 
where I've seen in certain cases where we're maybe, you know, some examples I think of is where the, maybe the folks, the communication is at that meeting with the parent coordinator, if you will, and that's where a lot of the communication is. And then past that, they seem to kind of break. And then, um, you know, outside of meetings, there's not a whole lot of communication. That's right. And, that, and you know what? When the conf- when the conflict is that high, sometimes, unfortunately, like that's that's the best option. You know, and I remember going through this myself and you know, one of the the arguments that my lawyer put forward is when each parent is trying to assert their control, nothing gets done for the kids at all. And then the kids are the one that really suffers. So somebody has to make decisions. Right. And well, Deb, where and, can and, people get you know, information about you? Well, my website is www.thesmartdivorce.com. And please email me at Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, at thesmartdivorce.com. Or you can call me at 905-695-0270. I'd be happy to speak. And do you help? As I said, I work with... I work with individuals all across North America and in Europe. All right. Well, outstanding. We really appreciate you having on having you on Family Law Talk today. It's our pleasure to have you on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. I loved the education. Absolutely. Well, uh, that concludes today's episode of Family Law Talk with Stengy Law Firm. Uh, stay tuned for our next exciting episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. With Kirk Stangy. Visit StangyLawFirm.com for more about today's topic or to put Stangy Law Firm to work for your family today. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri or Illinois reviews or approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The information you obtain on this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be legal advice. You should contact an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. We invite you to contact us and welcome your calls, letters, and electronic mail. Contacting us does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please do not send any confidential information to us until such time as an attorney-client relationship has been established. And finally, past results afford no guarantee of future results, and every case is different and must be judged on its own merits.